This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So while I was on vacation, I was thinking about investing, of course. I mean, why wouldn't I be? And what it was like to be a beginning value investor or really just a beginning investor in general. And I thought, what's a book that I could recommend for new value investors, for people just starting out? Yes, I know. Some people actually still do read books. They do. And I know some of you like to drill down deeper on investing than what just these podcasts or what you can find on Zax.com, you know, articles and what all that can offer you. So you want to know some books that you can go a little bit further into the subject. So I thought I'd braid my own bookshelf to see if my investing books were still relevant and um, whether or not there was anything good there for new investors. I have said before, and I've tweeted about this, that I wanted to do a cheat sheet podcast on The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Because I know not many people have actually read it. And some of you may recall that I was on the bus here in Chicago and I glanced over to see someone reading a book, which is somewhat surprising these days. And not only that, but it turned out to be The Intelligent Investor. I mean, who reads The Intelligent Investor on the bus, right? It was very inspirational. But I'm saying that if you don't know anything about The Intelligent Investor because it was originally published in 1949 and it's 640 pages all on value investing. I've actually never read the original version and the woman on the bus did not have the original version. She had the updated one, which was updated in 2006 by Jason Zwieg. So it now includes more contemporary examples along with the older Benjamin Graham information. It's still 640 pages in paperback because I went onto Amazon to check it out. And um, they're also actually, because it's so long and nobody wants to actually go read it, there are these animated versions of the book on YouTube, which I've, I never knew existed either. Um, I did not play one of the YouTube videos for that, but there are several of them that just say animated versions of the book. I guess that's just like the quick, the quick run through of what Benjamin Graham is trying to say in that book. Which is why I wanted to do the pod, a podcast on it because I know not many of you have read it. But this one is not going to be on that book. It uh, will come later. But instead, I'm going to recommend a, sec a secondary book, an easier one for people who are new out or just starting to do value investing. Or actually, if you want to just refresh why you're a value investor and to get some little tips. Because as I was preparing for this podcast... I read through the book and I was like, oh, wow, I forgot about this. And I was like taking all these notes. So it's really good for anybody. And the name of the book, and I know I've mentioned it on the podcast in the past and I've done other podcasts on this, but the name of the book again is The Little Book of Value Investing by Christopher H. Brown. And this was actually published the same year as The Revised Intelligent Investor, 2006. So it's now about 13 years old. And surprisingly, it only has 91 reviews on Amazon. That's not right. It should have more than that. Um, the Intelligent Investor, by comparison, is over 2,000 because that's considered like the Bible. But this book isn't as long, and it's just easier to get through and much more just like basic information. So the little book is really a little book. It's just 208 pages, and it's smaller. It's not the normal book size 
I would say it's like six by four or so. So it really does go by quickly. It has a lot of chapters with the headings. And um, you could read it on the bus, the subway, pretty quickly. You could probably get an audiobook, I'm sure, is out there for it too. And that would be really quick. But either way, you could actually get through this book really quickly, unlike The Intelligent Investor. So um, just starting off with even the first chapter, it the chapter one's title actually sums up really what it means to be a value investor. And it's just titled Buy Stocks Like Stakes on Sale. And like I said, that's really just the essence of value. Um, that's really hard. It sounds really easy. And it, it, this book makes it seem like value investing is pretty easy. Actually, once I reread it, I was like, oh, no problem. Love value investing. It's the greatest. And this seems easy. But the hardest thing is to buy these things that nobody else wants and when they do go on sale. So as we know, that's really where the challenge comes in. But flipping through some of these chapters, um, one of the interesting ones was uh, titled on Chapter 4, Buy Earnings on the Cheap. And that's really about the PE, which we talk about a lot on this show. And the book talks about using the forward P.E. ratio, which is what we use here at Zacks. And that looks at the next quarter, the next year, um, the next several quarters. So it's not looking in the reverse. It's looking forward, obviously forward P.E. So why use the forward versus the trailing? And that's because the trailing P.E., which you do find on sites like Yahoo, I get this question a lot on Twitter, I'll I'll tweet out like, oh, the PE for, you know, GE is six or whatever it is. And someone will be like, no, Tracy. They'll tweet at me, you know, no. Yahoo says it's 40. Well, that's the trailing on Yahoo and we're looking at the forward. So they are two different things. And as an investor, I really want to own the company's future earnings. If I'm going in there to buy it right now, I really don't care so much what it did in the past. I want to know that there's going to be growth there, that it's doing something good for the future, not, oh, it had this great thing, you know, five years ago. No. So I want to look forward into the future. That's why we use the forward PE. Another chapter you might want to also check out when you're reading the book is chapter eight. And this is a key chapter. And I forgot this was in here, but it's titled, Watch the Guys in the Know. And then it says, buy when the insiders buy. And I've often covered the insider buying on this podcast because insider buying seems like a natural extension of value investing. And why is that? Because the insiders are usually, but not always, but usually buying their stocks when they've been beaten down. Um, there's an occasional examples when they are buying on the highs. That's super bullish actually too. But they will buy when their stock goes out of favor, when the street um, is panicked about them for some reason or you know doesn't like them, but they know differently because they're behind the scenes and they have more information than the rest of us. As I've said many times, there are many reasons why the insiders sell tons of them. In fact, I've seen on the forums like, oh, the CEO is getting a divorce. That's why these shares are being sold. Um, it could be they need to pay for their kid's college. They want to buy a vacation home or even just a second home or their primary home. Could be any of these things. We have no idea. People like to think that they know why the insiders are selling, but they really don't. But when you buy, when they're using their own cash to buy more shares, 
there's only really one reason for that. And that's because just like the rest of us, they're greedy and they think something good is going to go on behind the scenes and that their shares are undervalued. That's where the value kind of component comes with insider buying. So that's something to keep in mind and um, know what's going on with the insiders at their companies. Anyone can check up this information. So if you are interested in a company, you yourself can go to sec.gov, it's not .com, .gov, and it'll say in the top right, it'll say um, a little uh, section that says company filing. You can click on that and you can literally put it in by the ticker and then you can get to the insider information when that is in there. And it does illuminate things um, quite strongly, especially for some of the stocks that have been beaten down a lot. Uh, for instance, one of them I've talked about in the past when I've done one of these shows on insider buying is Bed Bath & Beyond, which is uh, about to report earnings right when I'm recording this. And they their shares are at five-year lows or just slightly above the five-year lows. It's been awful over there, but the insiders have not been buying there. But why not? If their shares are at five-year lows, stock looks cheap, they're trying to do a turnaround, um, all this other stuff is going on. They are buying back shares. Why aren't the insiders buying using their own cash to buy shares? But they're not. So little things like that. Keep that in mind with the insiders because that's a real good uh, chapter in the book. Another chapter you should definitely be looking at, well, two chapters are chapter 12 and chapter 13. Chapter 12 is titled Give the Company a Physical and then chapter 13 is the physical exam part two. And this is when you're looking at all the fundamentals. So I always warn you on these podcasts that doing a basic screen for value stocks isn't enough. It never is. You must drill down into the company's business because after all, you're owning the business. So you better know what they do. And you better know what the fundamentals are. Is it is it good? Is it bad? What does their debt level looks like? And he says in chapter 12 to start with the balance sheet. Look for some of those red flags, including like debt and um, comparisons with the industry with some of the financial um, components on the balance sheet because that will maybe send up some red flags as well. And then on looking for the part two, he says to look at the income statement there. That would be the sales and sales... Uh, which are the revenue, and then, um, you know, some of the more things we hear about during earnings season, that's the sales side is the top line, and that's the top line growth that's often referred to, especially during earnings season. You'll hear, oh, they've beat on the top and the bottom. Top line is the sales, bottom is the net income. So I know a lot of that those terms are thrown out a lot and people may may or may not know even what that means. So, but you can check out all this with any of these companies in their filings or even just online. A lot of the websites like zats.com parse it out for you so you don't have to go searching around for it. So these are good areas. This is the drill down area, the drill down chapters. And um, he lays out in there, you know, kind of what he looks at and what you can look at too. And again, looking for some red flags. Then in chapter 14, after you do all that, he calls it send your stocks to the Mayo Clinic. And this is where it lists a bunch of questions you should ask to drill down even deeper into just what those numbers are. And some of those questions are things like, can the company sell more of its product? That seems kind of basic, right? Can they sell more in the years coming ahead? 
Can they increase their profits on these existing sales? Can they control their expenses? Or is there something big in the background, like they have to build a big distribution plant um, or a pipeline or something that's going to really add on to expenses? Or what's happening right now, um, labor expenses. Are they going to have to raise wages to get people in there? Um, or some other kind of benefit like health care? Um, and then ask other questions like how much growth is there with this business? And then again, what are the insiders doing? Are they buying? And other things like how are they competing in within their industry? Are they at the top of the heap of their industry or at the bottom? So these are tons of good questions to ask. And we would all be good to ask them about all the companies we already own, actually, because it's always good to check in to make sure that the story you bought your stock on is still that same story because things change. There's new management. There's new technologies. Um, certain businesses go out of favor and others rise to the top, right? So you have to keep up with all this stuff. It's a lot to be an investor, I've decided. Um, but in the end, he talks about how difficult value investing is. And this is what this reminded me of. So chapter 20 is titled, You Can Lead a Horse to Water, But You Can't Make It Drink. So the big question becomes, if value investing is you know, not that hard, because it is pretty straightforward. He even says in this chapter, um, quote, value investing is straightforward, unquote, because you're buying that company on sale, right? And you've done all this research into it. You like what's going on. So you're getting it cheap. How hard is it? Except it really is hard because it might take a while for the stock market to recognize that there might be some hidden gem with some of these companies. It's not glamorous. It's pretty boring. Um, value investors aren't buying those really hot glamour stocks. We're not buying the pot stocks or social media companies. We're buying banks, insurance right now, oil companies, things like railroads, you know, the, the old economy stocks. Um, and so it's hard to buy stocks when no one else wants to buy them, as we know. That's why we all listen to this podcast, right? So we can commiserate together about like what we're finding out there in the screens. But what was one of the greatest value investors, best investments, Warren Buffett, what was one of his best investments ever? The insurance company, Geico. That's boring, right? We still are like, meh, Geico, okay, but now he's rich. So there you go. Um, he's had his share of blowups and other things over the years, but these old kind of old school companies go on sale more often than these hot to trot ones. And so if you can get it at the right price, that's what makes it a good investment. So what are the value stocks looking like right now? Um, I just mentioned a couple areas that we've seen them in, the banks, insurance, oil. Um, but I thought I'd take a look again. Of course, I'm going to screen to see where are the opportunities now, now that we're in a couple months into 2019. And after you read the book, um, you will probably be like me. You're going to be like super psyched to go out there and do your value stock research so you can find those cheap stocks because it gives you all these little nice little tips in there. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I need to go look for that. Oh, yeah, I need to go check this. And you want to do the screen. So I know I I like went right away to Zax.com to, to do my screens after uh, you know, re reviewing this book because um, it is fun to be a value investor, even in this kind of market where we're just about at all time highs again. But you know that there's certain areas that are going to be out of favor and certain stocks that are. So 
I did some screens and I started, I went just for the classic value stacks and I've done the screen numerous times on the podcast. It's a good one to do. It's very, very narrow, but I was like, Hey, I might as well go for it. I just read the little book of value investing again, and I want those classic value stacks. So this is the most complete value screen you can do on zax.com. And it looks for obviously the Zach's rank. We're going to put that in there. Of course, that's kind of our secret weapon. That's not in the little book of value investing, but hopefully we're getting rising earnings estimates from including that. And we looked for ones, number ones, which is the strong buys and number twos, which are the buys. That's going to give me a little over 800 stocks. So that's a pretty good universe right there. Then we added the classic value parameters. So this is what we looked for here. PE, and I did under 20 because this is already a narrow screen. If I went to 15, I'm a little scared with what I might get. So I, I did it under 20. PEG is under one. It includes price to cash flow, and that was under 20. Price to book is under two. Normally I do it under three, but this is a little more narrow, so it's going to be even more value-ish with this metric, price to book under two. Price to sales is under one. Then I added a few components so that I wouldn't get any penny stocks or any kind of like low volume stocks. So it had to be over $5. Yes, I know many of you like the under $5 stocks. I know, I know. But for this screen, I'm doing over five bucks and it has to have average 20 day volume over 100,000 so that at least someone else is trading it. <laughs> Somebody else has found it and is in it. Um, so with those components, you know, it's going to, avoid most of the micro caps and like I said the penny stocks or like the dollar ones because something might not be good going on with certain stocks that are under a dollar and so when I ran this screen it's very narrow like I said I was unsure you know if I was only going to get five or six I think I've only gotten like five in some of the times I've run this screen but this time I got 15 that's not so bad I could work with that. So 15 stocks of the super good classic value stocks with the Zacks rank above $5 with some uh, volume in the trade there. So these are kind of interesting and let's get right to them because of course we want to know what the stocks are. So the first one out, um, I'm not really surprised. I actually own this in my own personal portfolio for several years now. It's been in the... Uh, value investor portfolio that I run here at Saks, but it's been a couple of years since it was in there because it did have a big uh, downward slide a couple of years ago. So it's G3 Apparel Group, G-I-I-I is the ticker. <laughs> it's a four, three I's, G, three I's. And it's very cheap right now, even though it's bounced off of its recent lows. So the PE is just 12.5. The peg is 0.8 and the price to sales is 0.7. They do not pay a dividend, which is my only down, downer thing with this company. I really do wish they did. But what they are is one of the big wholesale apparel companies along with PVH. That's their competitor. But they also do licensing, some for PVH actually, and for some big brands. So they run their some of their own retail stores, but they also are wholesale into the department stores. So some of their apparel names, DKNY and Donna Karen, two big names they just recently bought. Carl Lagerfeld, is they have the license on that. They do some licensing with uh, Calvin Klein, and they're recently with PVH owned Tommy Hilfiger. They do their dresses and a couple other items and um, things over there. They don't 
just do apparel. They also are doing shoes, accessories, like handbags. So they are very well served across the entire like kind of clothing um, accessory area. They also own Wilson's Leather, G.H. Bass, uh, Villa Brequin. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a couple others. Some of their other brands you would know they have the Eliza J, I think it's called, at Nordstrom. It's one of the best-selling dress lines there. And I listen to these conference calls almost every time. They just killed it on the last conference call. Very bullish about what they're seeing. Yes, some of retail is struggling on the apparel side. But they're seeing real good numbers out of most of their brands here. They have been closing stores because they are struggling at the outlet malls with Wilson's and GH Bass. They've been opening some DKNY stores, and they now have 11 Carl Lagerfelds. And they also gave a nice tribute to Mr. Lagerfeld, who just recently passed away. But um, um, that was on the conference call. But 15%... Earnings growth for fiscal 2020, another 10% for fiscal 2021. Like I said, it's cheap. I've owned it for, I want to say, three or four years now in my own portfolio. And it's one on the apparel side along with PVH, which I like a lot. And this one was also recently in the value investor. We sold it during the December um, craziness sell down. We aren't back in it yet, but it's a number three, which is why it did not make the screen. It's equally as cheap, PE of 122 Peg is just one because people are kind of staying away from some of these big apparel um, names, but they got the great brands and they are saying that things at the department stores are looking pretty good. So there's there's two apparel names. That the PVH one is kind of like an extra bonus one because it's not really among the five that I'm giving you today, but because it didn't make the screen. But as a bonus, PVH is the bonus. Okay, moving on to the auto side. Yes, General Motors is still on the screen. GM is the ticker, of course. It does have some issues with being a value trap type stock. I looked again to see, is it still a value trap? And yeah, earnings are expected to be down 0.9% this year and down another 5% in 2020. So they made 654 in 2018, expected to make 648 in 2019. So basically flat earnings. And then down to 614 in 2020. But the stock remains dirt cheap, even with the bounce of the year. So they're up 16% year to date. PE is still just six. Price to sales is just 0.4, and the peg is 0.7. And you get the 4% dividend yield with this one. So some people who, if you want to hang out in it and have some patience, that 4% dividend at least is giving you some motivation to be patient in General Motors. So I'm including it because um, it's just super cheap. So, but you're going to, like I said, probably have to have some patience. Okay, then switching over to the um, financial side. Now, there were no banks in the screen, and that could be because they don't have the right rank, and they're coming up for earnings. So some of the rank is going to get a little bit um, iffy here heading into these earnings reports. So no big banks made the screen. But financials did. So the financial today is Leg Mason, ticker LM. They're global asset management. They do ETF mutual funds and all of that. Um, this has been a kind of a worrisome area because if the stock markets fall and things um, that affects assets under management and um, that can be a little dicey. So people have been staying away from some of these stocks, but this one's up 19% year to date and it's still cheap. 
has some funky earnings going on, so I'm not quite sure, but this is where the drill down comes in. Like, this is just the screen, and you'd have to go do chapter 12 and 13 from the book to really know what's going on at Lake Mason. So PE is 11, PEG is 0.5, price to sales is just 0.9, does pay the dividend, 4.8, so pretty nice dividend. Um, but fiscal 2019 earnings are down 112%. So they made 372, expected to lose 48 cents this year. So I'm not, when I see something like that, I'm like, man, something's going on. Not quite sure what that is. Rebound in fiscal 2020, um, expected to make 270. So back into the green for fiscal 2020, but still under the last fiscal year, two fiscal years ago when they made 372. So again, this is one you're going to have to dig in a little deeper because the cheapness story doesn't tell you everything with Leg Mason. Okay, then switching on to Specialty Pharma. One of them made the list, Malincrot. I'm probably saying that wrong. Of course I am. MNK is the ticker. Um, this one Super, super cheap. So you're going to have to keep an eye on it and see what's going on there. PE is just 2.9 times. <laughs> PEG is 0.24. Price to sales is 0.7. I kind of looked around to see, like, what are the analysts thinking about this one? Like, how could it be this cheap? And the analysts seem to think that there's some ways they're going to be able to unlock some value here and that maybe they might be acquired, that kind of thing, even though they've been around in business for 150 years. So this is not a new name on the specialty pharma side, but again, really encourage people, anything to do with the pharmaceuticals, um, to be looking into what's going on there because so much can turn on just like whether or not a drug is approved or, you know, there's a generic coming down the pike or do they have anything in their own pipeline? All these things come to factor and play in to, um, what's going on at, specialty pharmas. So I would not want to be an analyst on one of these. So I salute them. But if you're interested in something like this, which is really, really cheap, and there was an insider buying um, just recently, one insider bought in Mallinckrodt. So that fits into that chapter of the little book of, of value investing too, that there is an insider buying here. So take a look at that one, MNK. And then we're going to finish it up with United Natural Foods. UNFI is the ticker. They're acquiring super value, I see, but they're a wholesale distributor. They deliver um, food and products, 110,000 products, they said. Um, no dividend here, but it's really, really cheap. I was kind of thinking something was wrong with the data because the price to sales is, is not even just like 0.1. It's 0.05 apparently. So I'm not sure what that is about. It's almost like I'm getting the sales for nothing. The peg is 0.9. P is still 6.7. It seems really out of favor. So I feel like something else is going on here too. Um, that, uh, you know, to get it at these numbers, but again, we want to buy the stake, the stake on sale, right? We want to get something, um, dirt cheap because then, when it rebounds, we're in it. So that's something to keep in mind. When you're looking at all these, again, you have to drill down. That's why you're reading the little book of value investing because it's giving you these tips on like what to look for, how to look for those red flags. And part of the fun of being a value investor is to find these kind of hidden stocks 
these stocks that the street has abandoned. Nobody on StockTwits is talking about them. You go on there and there's only like, you know, 300 people. And the last post was, you know, probably me um, talking about it and nobody else cares. But that is true value investing when um, you are in something that everybody else is just ignoring, except maybe some of the insiders. So again, definitely check insider buying with some of these. So let's recap those tickers again. Uh, because some of these are really interesting. So we had G3 Apparel, which is G-I-I-I. Um, PVH was the extra bonus one, even though it doesn't fit the screen, but that ticker is PVH. We had General Motors, GM. We had Lake Mason, LM. Uh, Mallinckrodt, I know I'm saying it wrong. M-N-K is a ticker. That's all you need to know. And then United Natural Foods, U-N-F-I on that one. So some interesting names going on in value. And... A good way to jump back into value right now when everything in growth seems to be going is to read the little book of value investing because, like I said, you're going to get psyched to go out there and find some good value stocks. And you're going to be reminded about why you like to do value investing, how much fun it is, and um, just the success you can have with it as long as you're able to stomach being a value investor, as long as you have some patience and you stay in there with some of these names because um, the turnaround doesn't always happen right away and the street might ignore the stock for a lot longer than you think. So keep that in mind and be sure to subscribe here at the Value Investor Podcast so you don't miss a single episode because I'm bringing you these stock tips every week. So you can get us now on Spotify. We're over there. And you can also get us on Apple Podcasts, of course. And if you are looking for us on SoundCloud, we're combined over there with Zach's Market Edge Podcast. So you get two for one, a, a deal, if you subscribe on SoundCloud over there. But be sure to get us somewhere because I'll be back again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.